Today on Let's Talk Limbic Sparks, I'm with Kim Kavanis, co-founder and editor-in-chief of Familia Kitchen, a leading Latino recipes and food stories website on a mission to gather, celebrate, and create the largest treasury of Latino family famous recipes. I'm Kevin Perlmutter, Chief Strategist and Founder of Limbic Brand Evolution, a brand strategy and neuromarketing consultancy that taps into emotional insight to strengthen connections between brands and people. The limbic system part of our brain supports emotion, motivation, behavior, and memory. And I'm curious how my guests are creating what I call limbic sparks, which happen when emotional motivation meets brand desire. I love talking with brand leaders who are turning emotional insight into a competitive advantage to drive business growth for the brands that they serve. Kim, thank you so much for joining me today and let's talk Limbic Sparks. Thank you for having me. And as you describe all this, I realized that literally my entire Familiar Kitchen brand is nothing but Limbic Sparks. <laughs> I love hearing that. Oh my goodness. Well, I've been looking forward to this conversation for so long. Starting with, how are you doing today? I'm doing so well. We are, it, this is crazy time for us because we have a, a new thing in the marketplace. It's a big cookbook. It's two years of work. We started two years ago and now on our two-year anniversary, we have this big fat cookbook. And so literally we are lucky enough to be connecting with TV stations and, you know, we, we have so many things going on right now as well as business as usual. So you catch me at peak crazy, but crazy good. That is amazing. And thank you for making time for this in the middle of all that crazy. Since we met a couple of years ago, I've been struck by your energy and drive. And you've just described how that drive is carrying you through this busy time. What is it that keeps you motivated in your work? This entire business and project is, it comes from my heart. And it's, it, 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 I first thought it was going to be a side hustle. And then I realized, no, it's my life's mission and calling. And that wraps into exactly what you were just talking about. Uh, like you, I think I come from marketing and agency world and I, I was at agencies forever. And I, I loved people always said, oh, you have such passion for your clients. And I did, I, I would get invested in their stories and I would work so hard for them. And then at the end of almost every, every project management would change, the projects wouldn't happen. It's just the nature of agencies, you know, it was great intentions, hard to have follow through because life changes, budgets, et cetera. And I was always thinking, gosh, what can I do on my own? Um, that we can just, I have so much you know, ideas and passion and drive. And I just want to see it all the way through and be able to make decisions about yes or no. And in came this food idea, which we can talk about, but food, what, you know, I'll tell you the origin story at the right moment, but you know, what is more emotional than the childhood memories of food from the place you come from? And our market are, is Latino people who are not at home. They, they are in America. This is our home, but we miss a larger home, capital H, where our people came from. And so literally what I do is I, I talk to abuelas, I talk to tias, primos, cousins, everybody, and I'll just say, what is the recipe that takes you home? And once they their, their face lights up and they'll say, oh, my mother's ex or my grandmother's so-and-so that they made it her wedding and I made it at my wedding. And I hear that story. I capture it. I celebrate it for them. I name it after them and then we publish it. And what we want to do is just have the biggest treasury of these super authentic home cooking recipes so that everybody can trust it and have a big community of home cooking and very, uh, very respectful, authentic, knowing that we're cooking our way home to it. But then also here we connect 
from coming from somewhere else, but we're here. So it's that duality that I'm tapping into when that's so emotional. It gets to identity, it gets to family, it gets to who you are, it gets to passing it on to the next generation. And what what a joy and a privilege. And that's what drives me. That this that I get invited to the most intimate conversations between grandmothers and their grandsons. And I'm part of that, you know, and it's my privilege to capture it with my partner and co-founder Lisa. We we just run this website and we're growing, growing, growing. Um, and it's it's so gratifying and such an honor. So when it comes to the relationships with people that you're closest with, what is it that you value most in relationships? In my own relationships, I value uh, presence, just being present for each other. And the idea that, uh, we care about each other. I really care about people. I really care what they want. I, I, I want to hear their story. I've always been a, I've been a journalist uh, forever, an agency person forever. And I love, I love hearing, meeting somebody, looking at their heart, seeing who they are, looking at their brain, seeing what they think, and then just being part of that, listening. Because I like relationships. I've always been the person, well, what most of us are, but I love relationships with clients and just being friends and not keeping just professional and sending them birthday presents or knowing about their life. It makes for better campaigns and products and relationships and work. That's amazing. It's so great when you build those relationships with a client or with your audience and you can feel the energy and the passion that everyone's bringing to it. And everybody just wants to be there. It's such an amazing feeling when you have that going on. I can so, only work that way. You know, if I don't only, have that, I feel really disconnected and I just feel like, oh, I, I have to find my way there or I can't do the work. I, I agree completely. It's why we do what we do. I um, think a lot about brands, as you can imagine. And as you and I both know, brands spark feelings and sets of associations. And when you hear a brand, you like instantly start thinking about things. I'd love for you to describe yourself, but do so by only naming three or four brands that paint a picture of what you're all about. Interesting. Uh, let's see. Uh, brands. I really think a lot about, there is a brand. It's uh, might not be on your radar yet, but it's, it's gotten on mine, especially as a result of all this work. It's, it's called Hija de tu Madre daughter of your mother. And it's a woman, I think she's in LA and she's all about the big Latina hoops and the hoops a Latina inside the circle and hija de tu madre. And she started, I think, by stitching, um, I'm Puerto Rican, but she is from Mexican heritage. She stitched the uh, Virgen de Guadalupe on the back of jean jackets and they'd walk around and it's all about where you come from and who you are. But I, I really admire the way that she is so present in her across her social channels and she connects and reaches out to people. I really love a brand like uh, Discover Puerto Rico, which is the tourism agency. I, I think they're great, they're present, they're very professional, but they're also super personal. And I, I admire how it's so welcoming and yet really nicely produced because I love quality. I like quality storytelling and everything, but it's gotta be friendly and personal. Um, another, I, I used to do a lot of work in travel, so I watch those brands. Another one is Iceland, Iceland Tourism. They just capture the country's ethos so beautifully. It's funny, I'm Puerto Rican, but I also love ice and snow. It's it's a weird thing about me. But in I, their Icelanders are funny and witty and dry, and they capture that in their campaigns, and I really admire that. Um, and so that's part of me, too, is like this the dry, cold person, and then the warm, passionate person. And those brands all kind of capture me together. And then maybe last is uh, 
there's a brand that I admire as, as a cooking brand. It's called Half-Baked Harvest. And she is this woman named Tegan. Um, she's so alive and present. And she the way that she communicates with her audience is as if you're right there in her kitchen with her. And I admire that. And I, I, I would love to, I aspire to be as welcoming and friendly and transparent as she is. So I think a combination of all those, the Latina, the travel, the Puerto Rico and and the kind of look doing pretty things in designy ways that respect the storytelling that you're doing all speak to me as my own collection of brands. Wow, this is such a great collection and you're right I haven't heard of a couple of them and I I want to look into them. They they sound amazing and I think given what I know about you they seem to describe you um really well. Thank you for sharing that. About 2 years ago you launched Familia Kitchen with a, this great ambition. I remember when you first started talking about it with this great ambition to collect, preserve, and share Latino family famous recipes. You call them abuela recipes and you're doing it one recipe at a time. So what was your inspiration for this and how did you arrive at the mission? Uh, this, Yes. Uh, so yeah, as, as I said, I've always worked in agencies and you know, just year after year after year of, of hustling for other people, I, I started to get the idea, this is before COVID, of what can I do with, to give back? You know, I, I, I put it all out there. I'm getting now to, you know, mid-career, senior-level person. What can I do to build something that's enduring, that uh, it will help carry me through, that I can give back, that I can make it personal, maybe as a side hustle? And what I, I I was looking, I kind of put it out there, right? I said, I'm, I'm open to ideas. And I kind of was walking around thinking about what's my next thing? What's my next thing? And uh, what I do, by the way, to relax I, on weekends, if I have nothing to do, I will not turn on the TV. I will go into the kitchen. I'll just start making something. So I'm Puerto Rican, the national dish of Puerto Rico. And one of my, my all-time favorite kind of home identity food is this thing called arroz con pollo, rice and chicken. It's a big Puerto Rican stew and you you cook it in such a way that you get a caramelized layer of, of rice at the bottom, chicken, olives, all kinds. It's very traditional and we've been making it forever on the island, you know, 250 years. Um, so I have my mom's recipe and I was just looking online to see how might other people make it. And I came across a very major website, the biggest ones, those, you know, like the top two or three that we all kind of look at when we search for recipes. And I looked at their recipe and it said, uh, it started by saying, chop a jalapeno and put it in there. And I just remember stopping in my tracks and saying, what? You know, jalapeno, amazing ingredient, super Mexican, nothing to do with Puerto Rican. They don't grow on the island. No one cooks with them. So I, I just thought, wow, here is a leading authority on cooking. Tell me to put a jalapeno. I'm like, they just put all the Latino people in one big food bucket. You know, that's like saying, oh, France is next is near Germany. So let's put pasta in schnitzel because obviously you put pasta in schnitzel so it's so wrong i thought this is all i had to do was ask an abuela right every grandmother in puerto rico knows how to make arroz con pollo to get it wrong just means that they don't even know a grandmother or know anybody puerto rican or didn't even bother to ask and that that's when i thought okay that's my concept you know i'm just going to go around and talk to grandmothers and you know i'm just going to do it one dish at a time and i'm a journalist i know how to do that and i love food and no one's really doing this the other thing I realized from poking around is that Latino, you know, it's a hard thing to get your head around because we're 20 different places in the new world that speak Spanish, but we're totally different, you know, as, as the jalapeno example shows. So Mexican food is as different from Puerto Rican food is as different from Peruvian food is as different from, um, 
you know, Argentinian food. And so I thought no one puts them all in one area and calls out, names them separately and puts them together. You tend to have a lot of blogs of like, hi, I'm a Peruvian cook. Here's what I do. So they're all super separated. So I thought I'm going to both put them together and get them right and say exactly what they are each. So I'm really going for creating the biggest Latino one-stop shop, almost like the Smithsonian field tape. So very respectful cataloging and hearing this oral history, capturing it. I name every recipe after the person that gave it to me. All credit goes to them. I'm just gathering it with my partner, Lisa, you know, my co-founder partner. And we're just like putting it out there. That's the highlights of the first year are in the cookbook, but that's what we're doing is literally talking person by person by person and making it authentic, real, trusted, and respected. Wow. So can you talk a little bit more about the core values that you're adhering to and how they guide the, the collection? Uh, the core values are respect, respect, respect. You know, it, it edges into these issues around Sometimes on TikTok and on the socials, people call each other out for cultural appropriation. To me, the antidote to that is respect. This is their recipe, their legacy, their history. I come there humbly to say, I've heard, you know, if I meet you in an airport or anywhere in the world and I start talking to you and you might be Latina or Latino, I'll say, who's the person in your family that's a great cook? Can I call them? And I get a phone number, you know, they're like, yes, my aunt Martha, Martha, she's amazing. She makes this thing. And so then I'll I'll either be introduced to them or I'll just call them and they're happy to talk about this because nobody asked them really about this, right? So I'll say, Tia Marta, your, your nephew says you make the best ceviche. And she's like, oh my gosh, I learned it from my grandmother. And so I just get part of that story. They're so happy. I'm so happy. And I'm just very respectful. I just listen to their story. I name the recipe after them. I ask permission for posting it and I share it with the world. And they're usually really happy about it because they want to capture it too. And a lot of them now say, gosh, now I go online and I look up my name and I find my recipe and I'm cooking from it, right? You don't have to have that little piece of paper. They get into the kitchen with their nieces and nephews and daughters and sons, and they're they're preserving it for the next generation. And that's really core to us. A lot of recipes go with their cooks, right? They're in their heads. People forget to write it down or they write it down, but they couldn't remember all the recipe, all the ingredients. So it's not quite right. I'll make it, you know? And so I'll say, uh, that's, chicken dish you told me about, we forgot to add the chicken because it's so obvious that she won't name it as an ingredient, you know? So when I make it, I'll figure out and then I'll send her the photo that I take. And she's like, yes, it looks weird, but I always put double the olives, you know? So we'll tweak it just right. And now we capture it with their story about when do they make it? Who taught you to make it? Why is it important to you? How is yours different? What does it make you feel? Olympic sparks. So I just capture all of that and put it in the, source, in the story and the recipe and then we get it out there and then they're very proud. They share it with their family and now it's captured. And so that's what I'm trying to do. Just have this very authentic. So the values are authenticity, respect, listening, uh, credit goes to them. And we're just here to capture it and uh, spread the word to make us a stronger community. Oh, that's amazing. It's so incredible to hear about how you're doing this. You just mentioned something that I want to ask you more about. You talked about cultural appropriation, which I know is different. And I think you've told me how it's different than cultural appreciation. Can you talk about the distinction and what it means to you? A hundred percent. So it's very interesting. As a lot of people, especially food influencers, they're trying to make a name for themselves and they'll go to a different country or they'll taste something in their neighborhood. And, and the impression comes across as if they've just discovered it. And so it's a fine line between 
some influencers saying, oh my gosh, I just had this drink called, it's like spa water, you know, it, it's like water with fruit. It's so like spa, spa water. And then meanwhile, other, there's Mexican cooks that have been going on forever. They're like, you are stealing something that we've been making forever. It's called agua fresca. It's something that our people have been making for 300 years. And there's a debate around that. And then the over the sensitive people on the American side, the influencers might say, well, oh, excuse me for trying your new food. Am I not allowed to try your food? And so that gets to the heart of culture appropriation versus appreciation. You are, I, be, I believe that all of us Latinos are so happy when people make our food and when people try it and when people love it, it's like welcoming a, them into our home. I think where the issue comes up is please don't rename it and act like you just discovered it. We've This is our patrimony. We've been making this forever. It's how we feed people we love. We're happy to feed you, but... Can you please also be aware that there's history and culture and that this item existed before you first tasted it? And so it comes from that feeling of tradition and respect. And that's all we have to do is be is be respectful and listen and give credit where credit is due to create a community that everybody feels welcome. If you rename it, suddenly you're not welcoming the people that actually have been making this dish from the beginning of time. As you've been describing, a lot of what you're doing is preserving legacy. And in the conversations that you're having with people who are sharing their recipes, how does this idea of preserving legacy enter into those conversations? And is it important to the people that you are speaking with? Tremendously important. It's the key to everything. They always say, oh, my my grandmother taught me this one day. And they it starts with a story. I never just, we never cut to the recipe. They tell me when they made it why they made it, what it means to them. This is the mole that was served at their sister-in-law's wedding. And then they, they tracked it down and now they're going to serve it at their daughter's wedding. You know, so it really, it's, it's about food as connection. And especially, you know, one of the things about Latino food is that it's a combination of three different things. There's the, the indigenous influence. So if you were, if you had Maya, or Aztec or Taino or Inca, that's going to shape it. Then there's a Spanish influence. And then there's the African enslaved. Those are the three major pillars and they all combine in different ways, but they are all really at the foundation of the food. But because of the Spanish part, there is colonization. Colonialization is a key part of Latino food. And with that often came loss of land. And so a lot of these people way back to the core of their family roots don't have what they used to have when the Spaniards came. So there's a sense of loss around, I may not have, you know, we used to be this, we may not have that, but we have these dishes that we've been making for 200 years. Food often stands in for the legacy of your people going back. And so making this mola dish is more than just a mola dish. It's literally your people and what they were making for two or 300 years when they used to own 10 acres of land back in the place before they lost the land and they had to come over here to make a better life for themselves. So food's a stand in for their legacy, their history, their entire family line. Tell me about a recipe or or a story or, or a, a, a connection that you've made where maybe someone got a little bit more uh, famous or or noticed than they would have would have liked in their personal life. Somewhere where there's someone who shared a story with you and and all of a sudden it became this public thing. And what, what's the response that you get from something like that? Yeah. One, well, the best example of that is um, my co-founder and partner, Lisa, is a mom. And so she keeps Disney movies super on her track. And she told me about, oh, last year, she's like, you know, there's this movie coming up called Encanto. And it's it's going to be around in like six or seven months. But it's all, you know, it's all about Colombian food. We, it's all about Colombian culture. We should look into it. And so 
Um, I know a Colombian woman and she has this great, beautiful daughter named Luna. They're a, a, a Colombian family living here in Pilsen into the Chicago neighborhood. And so I said, hey, there's this movie coming in Canto. We haven't heard about it, but what's a really traditional food for Colombia that you guys might make together and just say, we're making this in honor of Encanto. And they said arepas, which is their bread. So I they made arepas. We posted it. I just thought it was another wonderful, charming dish. Turns out that arepas are actually made in the in the film between the mother and daughter. And so it blew up when six, I had it posted for two or three months when the movie actually came out, it became our single best piece of content. It was hundreds of thousands of times. The, the little girl was recognized on the street as having made it with her mom. Um, they were thrilled about it. Arepas with Luna. It's, it's one of the best performing pieces ever on our site. And we just did it in, in this set spirit of inquiry and legacy and tradition. And every because of COVID times, I think a lot of people who, you know, Encanto became that movie that families watch on repeat and repeat and repeat and repeat. And I think yes. to make an activity, a lot of parents started looking up like make arepas like Encanto. And we saw that we were almost like number one or number two on the entire, you know, SEO for that. So that was a lucky thing. And it was just us being curious about what is the food legacy of this tradition that we're about to see in a big Disney movie. So you have about 300 recipes thus far collected somewhere in that hundreds and hundreds. Yes. That I've been able to get to. And I have literally a hundred more in the queue that wow. I just need to make the time, you know, like names and persons and the recipe that they want to talk about. I, if I could triple myself, I would just be, you know, we call it food anthropology, but I need food anthropologists on staff that can just call them up. Also key is that uh, uh, being bilingual is important. That's our language on the site. That's also a, a marker of authenticity and our audiences are bilingual. We speak in Spanglish. The, right, the website is written in Spanglish. Nothing is italicized because there's no other. It's all one. So if I had three of me, I would... Uh, send this team out and we would just call up people and write up every piece takes, you know, three hours or so just to write, do art plus the cooking time. And I, I really want to have, you know, 10,000 recipes in, in three to four years. Such an incredible ambition and what a tremendous uh, collection and, and legacy to preserve that that is so incredible so i understand you also have about two hundred and fifty thousand unique visitors per month to familiarkitchen.com is that yeah. accurate yeah so it's in about a year and a half we've gone to two hundred fifty thousand. uh we really we the cookbook is already we, we're seeing it you know we we knew that to make a cookbook that would get us to the next level of awareness and um respectful to you know respectful treatment of these gorgeous recipes so we're we're seeing growth and growth we'd love to be at you know a million by by next year too because then we, we just start to connect in the ways you, if people think of us first then we'll get even that much more amazing recipes and we'll be able to um afford right hiring these two or three right now it's just lisa and me and and uh wonderful interns and we hustle like crazy but uh we would love to actually have a team just to really be able to do this properly and to act on these recipes faster. I get so many tips and people submit ideas and say, please call me. And I say, I'm going to call you. I'm going to call you. And they're, they're burning hot, you know, in this, uh, in a big pile on my desk. So. And what is the feedback that you're getting from readers, people who are finding you, who are trying out these recipes in their own homes? Just joy and gratitude. Like, thank you. And I've been looking for something like this. This is just like the one that my aunt made, but we use this. They, they go right into the details and right into the conversation. And one thing that we did actually is that 
we realized that a lot of our audience was coming from Latin America. So people are finding us literally in Spanish speaking countries. So we added, we added Spanish translation to the site. We added a, you know, a, a, a software to do that. So we see, I get so many comments in Spanish. Gracias. Esto me encanta. It's just like my, mi tía made it just like this. And so I, I respond always in their language right away and say, thank you. We love it. I'm happy to feature any recipes that you think would, you know, make this even more complete. So I, I, it's getting a feeling of, um, wanting to participate and thinking that it's fun. I'm very careful to never, ever feel like I am in any way. If people sometimes say, oh, that's my secret recipe. And I say, then please keep it secret. Just tell somebody in your family just so that it's written down. But uh, it's all about sharing. And we really see as preserving these recipes for the next generation, especially in these days of everybody ordering in. A lot of our kids don't really see us cooking and they just think that food is this thing that you order in. And I really would love to inspire the next generation that to cook together is one of the most meaningful things you can do as a family. And that's a wonderful habit to pass on to your children when you have them. And these are the dishes that if you make them, they come with stories and identity affirming experiences. So suddenly you're not just making rice and chicken or dinner, you're making the dish that your family's made for 200 years. And people, kids need to belong, parents wanna belong, grandparents want to belong. You can belong by making these recipes together. Plus everybody has to eat, right? So make it meaningful and make it healthy. And by healthy, I mean like these are the things that we've been making forever. So tacos can be healthy when you make them the way the grandmothers made them with just the good ingredients and the whole foods and the real, the real corn and less, less processed, more real making it. It's not, doesn't take that much longer. You save money and you're healthier and you get great experiences. I know you've worked on a lot of brands in your career and you've seen the responses to those uh, to those brands and the marketing and the experiences that those brands create. How would you compare the emotional response that you're seeing to Familiar Kitchen versus typical brands that you have worked on? Oh my gosh, it's 300% more, you know, just because because I make it with love and they get it with love and there's no client to get approval from. I just do it. I just try it and I put it out there as, as does, um, you know, Angela on our social team or Lisa. We just do it and say it and having the, the ability to be unfiltered and yet working from an area of expertise is the greatest joy for me. As you know, when we have agencies, we have clients and then they have clients. And even if you have a fantastic client that wants to do something, they have to get approved from five layers up. And then by the time it gets out there, it's been watered down. No one's fault. It's just how chain of command works. So the ability to just, this is why I admire the brands that I admired, like Half-Baked Harvest and Hija de Tu Madres. You get the feeling that someone just sat down at their computer, wrote it and hit send. And that transparency and realness is what you feel so connected to. What do you believe then is the best way to create limbic sparks, those moments when emotional motivation meets brand desire? When you're looking for your agency, look for somebody that you actually trust and then give them the trust. Because, you know, we've all been through the pitch process. You get the job. Everyone loves the pitch and nothing in the pitch ever makes it ever, ever, ever into the world as an end result. It gets so if you trust somebody, let them do the, let them do what you hired them to do and what you yourself loved and responded to. Trust that response that you had to it because you responded to the authenticity of the big ideas and love and passion and research that went into that, into that pitch or those big ideas that are presented to you. Try as best you can to stick to the original idea because that's why you hired that agency and that's how you're going to get reality. But try to not let it go to the natural corporate process of 
10 people looking at it and everybody feeling like they have to add something to it or they don't deserve their paycheck. Because then by the time it gets out there, it is so watered down that no one feels a thing. And you can just tell that this was massaged into corporate perfection. And mm. that's the opposite of Olympic Sparks. Why do you think some brands are still neglecting this power of emotion, the emotional insights that they can use to really connect with people and grow their business? They are reliant. They are these people are thinking about job preservation first and not brand first. So if you care about a brand, then what does the brand need? What does the audience need? And get out of the way. So as a brand leader, what is it that you know now that you wish you knew years ago and perhaps something that others can learn from? I've literally learned the power of instinct. If, if, if you're an expert in something or if you're passionate enough and open about what you do know, what you don't know, trust that and put that out there in a very respectful atmosphere of not being a know-all and that will connect. You know, the idea that you can research your way into a perfect campaign by studying and surveying and focus grouping or trying to get the camp something that is so manipulated that and approved, you have to let it be as raw. Go for the rawest version of the original idea as you can to create something that actually connects to people. People are raw. People are open. Doesn't mean to be not on brand. Know your brand and then stick as close as you can to the original concept that speaks to what your people need, not what you your corporate legal department thinks they need in order for you to not maybe be sued, you know? So it, it's a hard thing and I get that it's risky for brands, but the brands that do it right in a big way are really connecting with their people. People really respond to telling it like it is for the brand that you are and be respectful of that process. That rawness creates the limbic sparks that make you then feel emotions and then you're, you're going to buy into it. Unbelievable. Kim, thank you so much for joining me today on Let's Talk Limbic Sparks. Oh, thank you for having me. How fun to think about these ideas and topics. It's exactly what we do every day, you and I, so thank you. For more, go to limbicsparks.com.